0: enter into our sixth installment of our series that we've been going through called I Am, where we've been walking through uh, the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes. Uh, actually, man, it's amazing. Next week, we, we conclude this series, uh, and it's been really refreshing for me, not just preaching it, but just listening to it. It just listening to our christ proclaim uh, who he is for us uh, i've enjoyed it next week uh pastor matt will close us out uh with the i the statement i am the light of the world uh i hope that you haven't in this series though forgotten what our theme verse In matter of fact we'll read that together hope you haven't forgotten what it is let's let's read it because this is really what this verse is about why that 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 Um, passage that verse in that song uh, resonated with me so much and it comes from John 15 and 5 come on let's read that together so we mean it yes yeah amen 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 that that voice that verse points out one simple truth that we've been trying to preach uh, for this last six weeks and that is basically this jesus is the source he is the source of it all it begins and ends with him he is as god the father proclaimed in at burning bush in Genesis, in exodus he is the great i am whatever it is that you need and or looking for it is in him and that's what we've been trying to communicate over the last six weeks is for you to understand that Jesus is the source of it all. Today, we will um, read or go into one, one of my favorite statements, and that comes from uh, John chapter 6, verse 35, and, uh, and this is what it says. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I told my mom,
1: mom, this is what I want to do. My mom said, you know what? Kevin, she said, I'm not a dream killer. Her exact words, I'm not a dream killer. Mm-hmm. If you're telling me that this is what you want to do? I'm gonna let you do it. She said, you got a year. You got one year to prove to me that this is what you want to do and that you can support yourself. Wow. This is a crazy story. So like six months going by. It's at a point where, you know, I'm not really making money, but I'm loving it. I'm loving stand-up comedy. I'm making great relationships with comedians, comedy clubs. I haven't paid my rent in like a month. I'm like, Mom, you know, the rent, where's the rent at? She's like, are you reading your Bible? I said, Mom, come on. I don't have time to talk about that right now. Mom, I'm late. Like, I need the rent money. Are you reading your Bible? Mom, no. When you read your Bible, then we'll talk about rent. Another week, two weeks go by. Mom, they're going to evict me if you don't give me this rent money. Mom, I'm serious. Have you read your Bible? Yes. OK, well, then let's talk about rent. Mom, this, I, I don't want to talk about the scriptures. I need the, I need the money. A month goes by, I get an eviction notice on my door. They're about to kick me out. I'm like, Mom, I go to her house. I got the eviction notice. She said, talk to me when you read your Bible. I, I can't talk to you right now. I just leave. <laughs> I go home. I said, man, let me open this Bible up. Open the Bible up, six rent checks fall out. She put all my rent checks
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: She put all my rent checks. From that six months, throughout the rest of the year, they were all there. Oh, I opened it up, my I felt goodness. like the biggest jerk ever. I sat there, and that was the first time I tried to read from the Bible. I read about two chapters, and I said, Mom, I'm sorry. I said, i just opened up the Bible. That is a beautiful story. That she, is a, She said, I asked you to read it because you need to stay faithful along your journey. I said, okay. I said, I get it. I'm just, mom, I will.
0: All right, all right. Now, if you pay close attention to, uh, to that video and the conversation between Kevin and his mom, the, the most important part or the most miraculous part of that story is not the fact that his mom packed six months of rent checks in his Bible. Uh, the most important part of that is what his mom said to him after he discovered the rent checks were in his Bible. And that was this. She said, I asked you to read it because you need to stay faithful on your journey. I, I love that because so often in life we get the deed confused with what's needed for the journey. We, we think that it's about whatever that's being received without recognizing that the deed isn't the true gift. The truth gift is what the deed oftentimes opens us up for. Sometimes a deed has to be done in order for the message to get through. I call this, I call this, uh, this, is, this is maybe 30 and up, so you, know, you, you may not, if you're not 30 and up, get this. I call this the Mr. Miyagi-isms. Mr. Mr. Me. That's from the original Karate Kid. Now, I do like the one with Jaden Smith. I am not a modern hater of things. It is the Mr. Miyagi syndrome. You remember the story, man, if you don't know, uh, or if you have never seen the original Mr. Miyagi as as Danielson as he comes into his new apartment complex after being bullied. I've never seen this in my life, by the way, by a karate gang uh, in his neighborhood. There was a karate gang in his neighborhood. After being bullied by the karate gang he learns karate or asks for karate lessons from the custodian at his apartment complex who is a custodian by day and a kind of well off master of Kung Fu by night. I mean, he, Mr. Miyagi was pretty dope. And so what happens then is this, he asks Mr. Miyagi for lessons. He goes to Mr. Miyagi's house and he discovers that while learning that Mr. Miyagi has these assignments for him to do. You remember the assignments, uh, wax on, <laughs> wax off, paint the fence and, uh, and, and, and sand the floor, right? Send the floor, send the floor, right? And finally, out of frustration, Daniel's son discovers Daniel LaRusso, was his real name? Daniel LaRusso says, I'm sick of this, Mr. Miyagi. I'm tired of cleaning up all your mess. You're a custodian, do it yourself. He doesn't say it like that. But what he does say is, I asked, could I learn karate from you? And I've been doing all of your work. And so what happens then, and like this, this, like... One of these climactic moments in the movie, the music plays and all of a sudden, Mr. Maggi says, Thank you, son! Wax on, wax off. <laughs> <laughs> Think that he's been doing while cleaning and stuff, only to discover the moves that he needed to paint to wax into sand were the things that were actually karate blocks and moves. And then somehow he discovered how to punch in the midst of that. We don't know that. They never cleaned that part up. But anyway, the Mr. Miyagi syndrome is basically this when you, when you enter something thinking that you're learning one thing, when actually there's a deeper, more profound lesson that's much more needed than what you can see. On the surface, this is essentially what's happening in the ministry of Jesus right here in John chapter six. This encounter that Jesus is having here is this, this culmination of events between Jesus and this crowd of followers, a few characters uh, that he's following. And so similar to that of Kevin and his mom, Jesus Jesus does something externally only so that he can get the message through to them. And if you've ever read, man, John leading up to this, man, it's some of the most, you know, impressive miracles that Jesus has done has led up to this conversation. And in, in chapter three, in chapter three, uh, he meets this Pharisee who hides uh, and, 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 and comes by night because he's intrigued by Jesus, a a, a man named Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. And and, here is where we get one of the most quoted 26 words in all of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. In John chapter 4, after leaving that situation, Jesus is tired, walking through through this desert place, and he stops in Samaria. He meets this woman, Ethelwell, and there he shares with her about the living water. What a blessed, blessed, blessed conversation that it has with this woman who's been outcast from her own people. Then in John chapter 5, he meets a guy who's been seated by the pool of Bethesda on this porch for 38 years. He's been sitting there 38 years waiting for healing and encounters Jesus. in the moment, after 38 years, he's healed and able to move on with his life. But not only that, not only that, man, this is also where it's recorded the only miracle that you'll find in all four of the Gospels. In John 6, you'll find the feeding of the 5,000. Note that the Bible says men, which means that there were many others, women and children included. You know, you can estimate 15, 20,000 could have possibly been seated out there. And, um, and Jesus, you remember, he's there. They try to figure out, or he asks a question, what are we going to do? It's dinner time to feed these people. What happens then is Philip says, hey, man, there's a little boy out here. He got two fish and five loaves. He brings it to Jesus. Jesus blesses it. He gives thanks. That's prayer. He prays, blesses it, and feeds the masses out in the wilderness. Now, imagine then, man, these are some pretty major events that's happening. And what happens then is that the people begin following Jesus, intrigued by this amazing, miraculous healer, provider. And then something shifts in the interaction between Jesus and the people. Listen to what you have then after this as the people have now been looking for Jesus, trying to find him. In John 6, chapter 25, listen, listen to what they say. It says, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe believe in him who has sent. And then listen to the audacity of the people. So they said to him, what sign are you going to give us then so that we may see it and believe in you? Show us what you're working with, Jesus. Put your miracles where your mouth is. That's, that's, that's my translation right there. Uh, our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, as it is as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said, sir, give us this bread always. And it was that moment of right affair that Jesus was able to insert the truth that he's been trying to give them all the time. That he is the bread of life. The bread that they are looking for. Sometimes You can really need one thing and internally you may be crying out and you can confuse it with something else. You've been there before, right? Yeah, you know, what what you may need to do, what you may need to figure out is how to love yourself rather than trying to find somebody else to love you externally. You need love, but first, that first love is self-love. You got to learn how to love yourself first. You can't spend all your days trying to figure out what's going to make you happy. In fact, Jesus never promised that you would find happiness. He promised you joy. And Sometimes we spend all of our time trying to figure out what makes us happy and making all these abrupt changes, looking for happiness when happiness was never promised to us. In fact, man, I believe that the Lord promised us rather than happiness, he promised us problems. He said, in this life, you will have trouble. That was a promise, but never fear because I have overcome the world. But you know what? Just like these people don't know and they think their major concern is being fed or receiving the things that they want. that's those moments in temporary satisfaction, instant gratification. What Jesus points out, the issue that they're having is not the fact that they are hungry. Not, not in a sense in what they think. He, he's, he's saying it's not that you're hungry. It's not, you don't really need what you think that you need. You don't really need more money. What you need to do is discover purpose. You've you you, you, you you've gotten education What you need to find out is your identity You can get all of these things And you can discover all of this newness And get all these things that will be like, like ornaments on you And you can get all those things And it will not help you be who you were created to be Jesus sees where they are And he tells them exactly what they need You can continue trying to fulfill yourself With the momentary satisfactions that you get when the reality is what Jesus is teaching here, what they really are suffering from is not physical hunger, but spiritual famine. Spiritual, spiritual famine. Let me define that for you real quickly. Spiritual famine is this. It is a state of spiritual hunger arising from a failure to experience the presence and the joy of God. They're searching for Jesus thinking that they need him to give them something physically when they're actually famished spiritually. This is what Jesus points out. Uh, Before before I came into full-time ministry, I I was the director of a boys and girls club. I I love that job a lot. And I I used to run summer programs, and and I remember a a little boy who was in our program. He he was about 12 years old, but he was about the size of an 8- or 9-year-old. So t- tiny little thing and and uh he's bad um, that, that, boy, that boy is bad and um and I remember one summer man we we just i mean he ran us through it was it was rough and uh and, and I didn't really believe in putting kids out if I did, he'd been gone and uh, so we we did our best by him to try to keep him and um and our staff started noticing something about his behavior uh, on one particular occasion that. He, he would act out violently, and, um, but they kept noticing that he'd keep grabbing his, his stomach as though he was experiencing some type of pain. And so, um, so the next day, it, it came around, just like clockwork. He, he acted out, and one of our staff members said, listen, let me take him by myself and uh, let me talk with him and see and so she, she, it was around lunchtime, she grabs him a lunch, she takes him into the office and she sits with him and she talks with him only to discover, long story short, um, that he he was experiencing a lot of pain at home. And as she was trying to feed him, he wouldn't take the food. And she says, you know, she clearly had been watching much closer than I, she says, well, Yesterday you got in trouble and you didn't eat lunch. And you came in late yesterday. Also, you missed breakfast. You came in late today. You missed breakfast. And um, how do you figure that you're going to keep going these days without eating? And um, and then something in her, she says, I don't know why. I asked him, when's the last time you've eaten? And he shrugged his shoulders. And she thought that he was shrugging his shoulders like that of a typical preteen, but they don't want to answer the question. She says, no, don't, don't shrug your shoulders. Like, give me an answer. I, I need to know. And, and he says, I don't know. He, he didn't know when the last time he had had a meal. And what he was doing was he was experiencing internal pain. He was famished, starving. And he was in so much pain that he couldn't eat and he was highly irritable. And so he was acting out externally from the pain that he was experiencing internally. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about this young man only to illustrate kind of what happens to so many of us. Because we are spiritually starved, we are famished, we are starving internally in our spirits and in our souls, we act out externally because we are starving internally, because we need the Lord to do a work on the inside of our hearts so that we can rediscover joy. We can say what David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation, renew a right spirit within me, because we are famished internally. Yeah, man, we are acting out and not experiencing the joy that God promised us when he came for us. So I thought about this. If this is an idea about spiritual famine, then what causes it? And the Lord said, just go back and read what you've already read before. And I looked at the characters, the characters that Jesus engaged with prior to this moment, and there was the causes of what gives us spiritual famine. I'm going to give you four quick things, and we're going to get out of here, okay? One of the first things we saw, the first character I mentioned, was a guy by the name of Nicodemus. You remember Nicodemus, the Pharisee, who came to Jesus by night? In Nicodemus, we see a cause of spiritual famine that's called self-satisfaction. Check this out. Nicodemus came to Jesus at night intrigued by what Jesus brings, but But Jesus wasn't enough for Nicodemus and everything that he hoped for in the world. So because he was fully self-satisfied with his position on the earth, with the things of the world, he didn't need Jesus. He saw something in Jesus that appealed to him. But Jesus wasn't enough for him to lay those things down. He had divided divided loyalty. So self-satisfaction is this, as is defined here, when you're complacent with the creation and no longer craving the creator. When the world is enough. When what I have, what I do, who I am, what I've built, what I've established, when it is enough, I'll take the creation. I don't need the creator. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the first thing. Nicodemus is self-satisfaction. And then you have the Samaritan woman who is about sin. And sin is basically this. You're trying to find wholeness in things that are unholy. Now, here's the thing. When I'm talking about unholy, I'm not talking about like, you know, I grew up in the holiness church. You know, that, that is, that's long skirts and clothes, no makeup, clap your hands, stomp your feet for, for four hours. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. In fact, I'm one who believes that for some of us, it's unholy not to wear makeup. Just my, 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 my thing right there. It is. It is. It is trying to find wholeness in things that are absent, are separated from God. When you're trying to make something else fulfill you. And the Samaritan woman, for her, it was her relationships. When Jesus approaches her, when he meets her, he points out to her that she's been trying to find wholeness in all these relationships with these different men. And because of that, sin has separated her from God and it has given her a spiritual famine. She's spiritually famished. Then also, thirdly, there is unbelief. And we see that. I call this guy Brother 38. Brother, that's because he sat for 38 years by the poolside wait, waiting. He don't have a name. So he's Brother 38. Brother 38 sat by the poolside. And listen to what, what the conversation between he and Jesus. Jesus asked Brother 38, do you want to get well? Whew, what a cold-blooded question. I think that Jesus would ask some of us that very same question. Yeah, Some of us who who have been sitting in the same spots Refusing to move And blaming other people for our starved state Oh, you don't feel fed You don't feel like you're growing You don't feel like you can move You don't feel like you can be healed You don't feel like you can receive happiness And because it's you You want to blame the world Jesus says, what's the problem? He says, well, when the pool gets stirred Won't nobody come grab me? Well, nobody else helped me out. So I just sit here waiting for change to happen for me. Unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief basically is this. When your life and attitude look like you've given up. When you figure this is just my plot and lot in life, I'm just going to be here and I'm just going to exist. And then lastly, within the crowd, we see false beliefs. And false beliefs is basically giving God's glory away. Giving God's glory away. They said, listen, Jesus, you, you say that you are all of this. But remember, when we were in the wilderness, Moses, our forefathers, they got manna from heaven. And Jesus says, well, listen, it wasn't Moses who gave the manna in the wilderness. It wasn't Moses who rained bread from heaven. That came from God. And it was their false beliefs that made them spiritually famous to the point, as Jesus is speaking and concludes with them saying, well, Jesus, give us this bread always. And Jesus sees them in their famished state and offers to them what they really need. I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Keep in mind a couple of quick things. One of the first things you got to recognize in Jesus' statement, what he doesn't do is negate the reality that there is other forms of bread out in the world. There are other things that are competing for us, that are trying to feed us. Jesus doesn't say that I am the only bread. He says, I am the bread of life, which means that there is bread out there, but the bread out there isn't life-giving. It is life-taking. And I imagine in the conversation that Jesus sees his children and he sees their existence and the reality that they've been spending their entire lives trying to fill themselves up with things that will not be life-giving to them, that will actually drain their life. And Jesus is fed up with them because he came to give life to his children. He's tired of them trying to raise up other gods in his stead. He's tired of them trying to find purpose in things that are not purposeful. Jesus is tired of them trying to find things and hope, find hope in things that will lead them hopeless. Jesus is saying, I want to give you that, that which will fill you always. Well, he says, I am the bread of life. And in his infinite knowledge, he says, rather than you receiving those things, let me give you an alternative. Come, come to me so that you'll never be hungry or thirsty again. You'll you, you never, you never be so hungry that you continue to give your affections over to those who don't wanna love you back. Come to me and you'll never thirst again. Come to me so that you will stop thirsting for things that will leave you dry, that will leave you without, that will leave you. Famished, come come to me so that I can give you that which will refresh you. Come to me, and here you'll find hope. You'll find peace in the midst of the storm. You'll find joy when you can't discover happiness. You'll you'll find everything that you need here. Come to me. And here's what's true about this conversation. Although Jesus is using bread and he's using water in his conversation, really this is a conversation about salvation. Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. Come to me so that you'll never be hungry and or thirsty again. This imagery that he's using is really the byproduct of what it means to be saved. But so you mean that, you know, if, if, I, if I accept Jesus, that means that, that I'll, I'll never be hungry again. I, I don't have to eat or drink. No, that, that's not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is that if you come to him, you'll be completely satisfied in him. That no longer will you spend your day, spend your life trying to find satisfaction, trying to find completion in things outside of him. So what will happen then is the things that you give yourself to will then be a choice and not a chore. Those things will not be your God. They will be an element for you, but it will not be something you will be a slave unto. Jesus says that if you come to me and you receive the salvation of Jesus, then you will have. This is what the Apostle Paul talks about. As a matter of fact, you remember Paul's conversation in Philippians? He says, I've learned to be content in all situations. I know what it means to be high and lifted up. I know what it means to be low down to the ground. He says, I- I've learned to be content in all situations, but here's the thing. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That attitude only comes when you recognize that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior. And when you know that he is your Lord and Savior, Savior, no longer are you a slave to this world. You find satisfaction for your soul in Jesus and Jesus alone. It's the reality of what Jesus himself talks about. In John chapter 10, when he says to us, listen, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you should have life and have life to the fullest or more abundantly. That is what a saved life looks like. So Jesus is saying, come to me and let me give you that which will fulfill your life, that will give you joy, that will help you so that you can live in this world without prostituting yourself out to the things that have no purpose or value for you. Come to me and let me make your life full. And when I look in this world today, what I see is a lot of people living unfulfilled lives trying to make purpose out of things that have no value. And the source of that which you are looking for is in Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Amen. It is hot, so it's time to go home. Keep on preaching. (laughs) You got to come over to my house where it's cool. Yeah. Amen.